from the campus of Stanford University. This is Schools In. They believe that what we're being told is everything they need to know, and they just pay attention to that. You actually have to teach the teachers how to teach for innovation. With your hosts, Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. Welcome to Schools In. I'm Dan Schwartz, full professor with the Graduate School of Education, here at Stanford with my co-host, Dan Schwartz, dean of the Graduate School of Education. Uh, Welcome, Dan. Dan, you fabulous beast, Schwartz. Uh, What was that about? Well, it's about time that I finally gave you some props for what a great job you do on this show. Thank you very much. So today, I'd like to introduce our guest, none other than Dr. Denise Pope. And we're going to be talking with her about a new a new report that came out called A Fit Over Rankings. And this was an important enough and fun enough that I am both host and co-host. And Denise is my interviewee. So welcome, Denise. Thanks, Dan. You're doing a great job. Thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so nervous. <laughs> okay, so if I understand, the conclusion of this report is it's not where you go to college, it's how you do college. That is a good summary conclusion of the report. So um, part of your concern is college rankings, like in U.S. News and World Report. So where, where do these rankings come from? So this was a little bit of a surprise to me because when I think of college rankings, I always think of admit rate, right? Admit rate is how hard it is to get into a school. And there's this idea that the harder it is to get in, the higher they are in the rankings. I don't know why. I mean, that was just sort of flying around. And it turns out that that's only a very tiny metric of what these rankings measure, they're actually measuring a whole bunch of things that that really surprised me and how heavily they weight certain things. So graduation rate, which is an important thing you want when you send a kid to school, you want them to graduate. Turns out that's 22% or something like that of the ranking. 22%. Yeah. And there's another really high one, which is peer reputation as measured by your academic peers. So other college administrators are rating how they think that college is right, and should be right. on the ranking system. And also college counselors are rating these. And it's this mysterious way so of surveying. I get, so uh, we're a graduate school, so we get a separate ranking from U.S. News and World Report. And uh, they request a lot of information from us. But I also get this list of like 2,000 schools of education wants me to rank them. And so I rank them all last, except for the Graduate School of <laughs> exactly. Education, which I rank first. <laughs> That's the one. But I think you just showed just how crazy this is, right? How can you possibly think of all the graduate schools of education out there and be able to put a number to them, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, besides ours, which of course you're putting as number one? Right. So this is a reason why things change kind of slow. It's not like I'm yearly up to date on some school in some state in some city that I don't go visit. Right. And here's the other problem. They want things to change slightly, right? Because if the list is the same every single year, that gets a little bit boring. So they actually do some tiny tweaks to the metrics so that they will change because you're probably not changing your ratings all that much when you fill out all that paper. Oh, I give it to someone else. But uh, (laughs) so who's who's they? Like, are, are, are they in, like, robes, yes. sequestered in a, some Gothic cathedral working this out? I well, mean, who are these people? There are many, several different ranking agencies. U.S. News & World Report is one. It's probably one of the most famous ones. But Barron's, Princeton Review, Niche.com, Brookings, there's a bunch of different rankings. And 
several of the more popular ones use very similar metrics. So graduation rate, average SAT scores, faculty to staff ratio, but some of them use some different metrics. So there's Brookings, for instance, when that first came out, they put out return on investment. Like if you're just interested in how much money you make when you get out, these are the schools you should go to. Do you want to know where to go if you want to make the most money, the return on investment, best return? which, Which is the get rich quick? You. Get rich quick you. Our maritime academies are pharmaceutical schools. For the most part, that is what was on this list. Wait, maritime wait. academies. Like like wait, 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 what if I go to a pharmaceutical school, am I a f- pharmacy rep? What do I get out of it? Sorry, a, sorry, those of you who've gone there. I okay, apologize. Okay, you become but, a pharmacist, right? Oh, so that's a good job. Right. So as an undergrad, these are undergrad we look at undergraduate institutions, but I think the Maritime Academy was the one that really surprised me the most. You know, it's a very specialized job to run a port. And by mm. the way, these places that have really great return on investment. They're not that hard to get into, mm-hmm. which is also a good thing. It's niche picking. Yes. So that that's the only one besides graduation rate and income you know, that you make as a graduate. Those are the only two outcome measures. Do they include like happiness? U.S. News and World Report doesn't even include income. So I just want to point that out. U.S. News and World Report doesn't have outcome measures besides graduation like, rate. Like knowledge of Plato, Aristotle. <laughs> they do not rank you on that. No, I think it's, you're making a really good point that the knowledge and learning as an outcome are not usually measured by rankings. Future income is not usually measured by rankings. Happiness is it's not measured by making rankings, at least any that we've seen. So, yeah, they're forgetting some key outcomes to so, college. So I know you want to evaluate college by outcomes. And before we get to that, this is Schools In with Dan Schwartz, and we're speaking with Denise Pope about school rankings and figuring out where to send your child. Okay, before we get to uh, evaluating college by outcome, there is a tendency to be very instrumental, and we always evaluate things by outcomes. So some, uh, I, I put in a music class, and I want to evaluate it by whether these kids are in some ways better. But you know, when I go to an adventure movie, I don't evaluate it by my feelings a year later. Right. Like, why do we do this for all the time? Why do we do this for colleges? Well, that, it's a good question. So this is a, a real challenge when you think about measuring higher ed or, or looking at effectiveness of higher ed in general. And same with K-12, right? How do you determine the overall experience of a child, a student, and is it worth it? And given the high price of higher ed and given the sacrifices that you make, I think it's a really important question. And it's why people are drawn to the rankings, because at least they feel it's something that helps them make their decision. Because if it was just like adventure movies, how would we know? It's the same thing. You're going to go on Fandango and see what was highly rated. It's a kind of a similar thing. Right. But there I do it based on the nature of the experience during as opposed to something that happens later. Right. The, the concern, and so this is why this is a tough game, is everybody wants education to do everything. Yes. And so choosing what are the outcomes you would focus on are kind of tough. Right. But you, you, you have done a review of the literature. So what are some of the outcomes that people say, oh, this is, what, this is a kind of outcome we should want from a college? The research doesn't say this. That's more from us talking to our challenge success schools and families, the outcomes that they're interested in, one is learning, right? We're we're not paying all this money so that they don't learn something. Um, Another interesting one is future job and job satisfaction, 
right? We want them to be prepared to find a job that they like, know enough information to do well in that job. Income is definitely a concern, but also well-being and happiness. There's a great report out by Gallup Purdue on thriving, and they look at all different ways that you can thrive. You can thrive socially. You can thrive financially. You can thrive at the, you know, the workplace. So we use that in the in the paper. We were happy to find that one, and it's a good study where people look at and rate how they're thriving, and then Gallup Purdue ties that back to certain things that they did in college. So th- this is an interesting outcome. Thriving. Yeah. Uh, means a lot of things to a lot of people. So have I ever told you what I think the right measure of a good college education should be? No, you haven't, Dan. Maybe you should tell me now. See, if, we're, if, if you should be the interviewer and I should be the, <laughs> the interviewee. So, so we can every, do that next. So every now and then they go out and they try and measure the benefits of college. And they'll do things like they'll give them some factual test to say they learn it. And that's sort of a mismatch for what college is for. If you really want to measure, you give, you give a college student something new to learn. And you see how well they learn it compared to, say, high school student or somewhere else. That right. this, this is what a good education is for, is to prepare you to keep learning and adapting. A good education to help you thrive in life is an interesting – that's a big lift. That's a big lift. So for the first one, learning, yeah. what do you think determines that outcome? Sorry. You're the guest. Okay, sorry. You're the guest. <laughs> okay, you ask me. Uh, so, Denise, what, what do you think people <laughs> actually needs to happen to, uh, prepare people to keep learning? Well, one very interesting study, actually several of them, this is not going to be a shocker, is you got to study. Yeah. I knew I, knew I missed something. <laughs> I knew I blew college somehow. <laughs> Did you not study in college? I studied the things that I found really interesting. And, and it, it turns out that that's actually really key to be interested and engaged in what you're learning. If you have a professor who engages you, if you go deep in a project or a research, um, especially if it continues over multiple semesters or quarters, you hit it on the nose. Okay. I hit it on the nose. I will take the praise. (laughs) Take the praise. Uh, The thing we haven't pointed out or that I haven't asked is the highly selective colleges that get ranked better, when you look at outcomes, are they actually better? So it turns out for most of the things we looked at, no. There is no difference. And I just want to make sure we're clear on how we're defining selective because I think some people don't understand this. In fact, some of my colleagues weren't even sure and we had to define it in the paper. Non-selective means that you can that everybody gets in. That basically if you have – think of a community college. If you have a GED or a high school diploma, they will take you. Non-selective means pretty much everybody gets in. Okay, Selective can mean – of the people get in, 70% of the people get in, 5% of the people get in. So when we talk about selectivity, you have to actually look at different tiers if you're talking about sort of the top 20 schools and the the next 100 and whatever. So the way the research works is a lot of the researchers use the top, top schools and compare them to non-selective schools. So there's really no difference when you come to look at thriving, when you come to look at learning, when you come to look at job satisfaction, you can go just about anywhere and end up with those outcomes. There are some differences in the financial realm. So um, going to Stanford or Harvard or other Ivy plus schools, plus means other schools that are really good, but... MIT, Caltech. Well, we'd be a plus as well, because we're, we're not a plus because we're not an yeah. Ivy. Okay. Uh, buys me no benefit for thriving in life. Is that because I, I, if I go to a school like that, I'm filled with existential angst? And 
the interesting thing is that, that when you look at these reports, they don't really talk about mechanisms. They don't really talk about why. Okay, mm-hmm. so I can say that these two things are related. People who engage in college, people who find a mentor, people who join clubs and communities, they are more likely to say that they are engaged in their jobs and happy with their jobs and thriving in all the different ways that Gallup Purdue looked at that. Similar with learning that people could go to just about any of those colleges. And I think this makes sense to most people. You can go to a state school. You can go to a community college. You could put your all into it and use the library and use your resources. You may learn just as much as someone who did that at Stanford. The trickier parts is where you start to compare the others. I see. So uh, this is Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. And we're speaking with Denise about uh, is it worth the money to go to a selective school? if your goal is for your child or yourself to thrive. And you you have just like thrown a hand grenade. You just said it doesn't matter. But it does matter in the sense that I may go to a school where it's very hard for me to engage, to participate, to study. Is that a place where I look at a difference between schools? Right. So you ideally, and again, we, we, we can't talk about causality here, but ideally if you look at the studies, it's about fit. When we looked at the studies, what we determined is best fit is really the best place that you can engage. So you do want to find a school, and it might be different for you and me, right? If you are someone who is really into sports or you want to be the editor of the newspaper or whatever it is, or you want to study with the top people who study botany, that's how you should choose a school, so my not pa- what the ranking is. So I uh, wanted to go to Berkeley. Okay. And my parents said no, and they sent me to a small liberal arts called Swarthmore, which I didn't want to go to. I guess that I'm not thriving. Okay, no, and, no, 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 wait. What no. did you do at Swarthmore? I didn't engage. At all? <laughs> you sat in your room in a, in a, in, with the curtains closed and you didn't go to classes? I find that hard to believe knowing you, Dan Schwartz. Uh, Saturday Night Live, you just run reruns. No. <laughs> let, me, let me do the counterfactual. So the counterfactual is... If you don't engage in any of the college offerings, you're probably not going to benefit from it. Yes. So, so I buy that. Okay. Thank it, it's, you. It's hard to fight that. The idea that I go to a school where everyone around me has been highly selected to be chatty, conversational, intellectual, look after my welfare, entrepreneurial, uh, socially good – isn't going to buy me something compared to going to a school where they're just admitting people so they have enough enrollment? So it turns out they're looking at a whole bunch of different schools, and the only difference they found, no offense to what I'm about to say, are the for-profit universities. It turns out that people who go to for-profit were not lining up with how everybody else was saying they were thriving. So there, you, yes, you could go to a wide variety of schools and end up thriving. For, for-profit is like online schools or online – are there for-profit colleges? There are some for-profit colleges. That are residential? Um, that's a good question that I'm not yeah. sure I can answer. But do you want to – can I talk about a really cool study around the finance one? Because when I tell people this, there's, a, there's pushback, right? People are like, I just don't believe this. I think the fact that I went to XYZ school, absolutely it's the school that made a difference. And that's, what, that's certainly what I want the alumni to believe. I know, so don't get mad at me when I say this. But we only looked at undergrads. So actually, we could just take graduate school of education off the table here because we're not talking about graduate school. Okay. Okay? So for undergraduate universities, it turns out that there were these two economic professors named Kruger and Dale. And they said, you know, we want to see if it makes a difference financially. 
and we want to look at schools, highly selective schools, and less selective schools, and see if it makes a difference if you go to either one. And they decided, you know what, exactly what you said. Students don't randomly select into schools. So we're going to look at kids who got into the Yale, the Princeton, et cetera, but for whatever reason instead went to Miami of Ohio or Tulane. So not community colleges, but but you know within that, right. that so they're top realm. Otherwise identical to the people who did get in, exactly. except something led them to have to go somewhere else. So if it really was the institution that made a difference, we should see differences. And they tied it to Social Security Administration tax records. Mm-hmm. And then they did it longitudinally and they followed and kept adding five years out, 10 years out, 15 years out. There's actually a cohort that they're at about 20 years now. And they also compared the ones who, st- who started in the study later to see if that made a difference. It turns out, no, it's not the school. That's really interesting. I, I would think that the average might be the same, but the range might be different. You know, you go to the Ivy League, you, you meet certain people, and you make big bucks. But not everybody does. There's a bunch of people who decide to go into social causes and things like that. But that's probably not presented in the data, would be my guess. But. Well, no. In fact, what, which I think you touched on, within institutional differences are far greater than even the differences financially mm-hmm. between the top and mm-hmm. the lower. Right? That makes sense. This is Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Dan Schwartz. We'll have more with our guest, Dan Schwartz, about Dan Schwartz. No, Next I'm on, the guest. Oh, sorry. sorry. With Denise Pope next on Sirius XM Insight 121. Students focus on what they were told, not paying attention to the situation. This is Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. So they're not going to see anything new because they're so busy trying to copy what you told them. From the campus of Stanford University. Welcome back to Schools In with Dan Schwartz. (laughs) We're talking with Denise Pope, and we're talking about choosing colleges and based on ratings. And I think the the take-home right now is you should relax about where your kid's going to school. The differentiation quality of these schools and outcomes is very thin, if any at all. And so, but college is good. But don't stress too much about getting into that school. That's right. I mean, and the fact that you say college is good, that's an important point. We do want people to go to college. There actually is pretty clear research that going to college makes a difference in in those categories. But yes, the reason we actually did this lit review in the first place is because in our survey of over 100,000 high school kids, the top answers, one of the top answers to what causes you the most stress and why is college admissions. Yeah. So this, you hit it on the nose. We want to calm people down. There's 4,500 colleges out there. 
you'll find one that is is good for you. So it may come as a surprise to you that uh, I actually had my son go to just a nice college. We never worried about getting into top-rated ones. That may have been something to do with his grades, but but we never <laughs> we never really worried about it, and he's turned out fine. He's right. living at home now. No, his, I know he's at, at, at age fifty, Dan, but it's fine. Tell it's, the audience that you're joking because I know you're joking. I am joking. He's highly successful in a very cool business. Yes. Um, does this is this going to be true? Like, if you're a first gen student, did, did these studies sort of say? Oh, for certain segments of the population, you do need certain kinds of schools, or is that just too hard to partial out of the data? No, no, it's a great question. So there were some studies, particularly the economic studies, that that was the one exception. So if you are first generation or come from underserved population, it definitely does make a difference as to the level of selectivity of your school. Interesting thing is there's not research on exactly how or why. So there's some hypothesis. It might be the financial aid and support that's given at some of the highly, highly selective schools. So Stanford, you know, you get a full ride. You also get, if you want to go to the dorm ski trip, they pay for that. They, they, you're fully included in every way. So you don't take on a lot of debt. It may be a network effect. There's just not good research out there as to the why. So this this is sort of a dark hypothesis. Okay, let's hear it. Uh, So I taught at another university before (gasps) I I taught at Stanford. Yes. Uh, And uh, they used to brag that they provided the least amount of needs-based aid of any university in the nation. Times have changed. Oh, my goodness. You don't brag about that. No. Times have changed. Wow. But the message was it's a good place to go to college to marry well. Oh, my goodness. So it was a kind of selectivity that if you want financial stability, you go there and you find someone who has financial stability. Well, what's interesting now is that the high, high, highly selective schools, which, by the way, used to be the club, right? Right. It used to be they didn't let Jews in. They didn't let women in for many of these people, right? Now the high, high, highly selective schools are really taking great extent, partly because they have the money to do it. To be much more um, no, it's, diverse. It's, it's an it's a incredibly important responsibility. Yeah. And yeah. yet most of these schools are not as diverse as they should be by far. Yeah. Well, it's, so Stanford's very good at the undergraduate level. Graduate, it becomes less diverse. Postdoc, very thin diversity. Really? Yeah. So part of the challenge is you want a more diverse faculty, but we need a pipeline. Yeah. And so a lot of work to try and get people interested in, you know, a faculty career. Right. The, the mountain you're trying to move is huge. Yeah. I am a parent. Since my child was two, I've been planning for my child to go to Harvard, Yale, Princeton, you know, mm-hmm. Stanford. Mm-hmm. You're telling me, let it go, mom. Let it go, dad. So, so say again yeah. what your evidence, just one piece of evidence that supports this because it's just nobody's going to let go. At what cost is a good question here. So we're, if you think about it, we wear sweatshirts with the names of the college that we go to. We're, we're sort of, we look at education as a really important step in a child's life. I get why people are so nervous about this. I get why they get bought into the rankings. But we wanted to show that the rankings are problematic and that the research shows really the differences are not what people in their head have built them to be. And so when I say at what cost, we are seeing high school kids who are overscheduling themselves, taking classes, APs up the wazoo, losing sleep, anxious, eating disorders. I mean, you name it, due to the stress of getting, of just the hope to get in because you can do all that and you can walk on water and start a nonprofit before you're 12 and still not get in to XYZ school. So so the real question is at what cost, especially if we could prove 
that the differences of where you go to college is nowhere near as great as people make them out to be. We're hoping that that addressed the elephant in the room that mm -hmm. was stopping parents, kids, and schools from allowing kids to, to really be healthy and engage in high school. This is Dan Schwartz speaking to Denise Pope, and we're speaking about cooling everybody's jets. Do you think before it was about colleges and the race to get into colleges, there was something else instead? Like if, we, if you succeed— and you get everyone to realize, I want my kid to go to a nice college where they're going to engage. That's my main goal. And the competition's off. Will it get replaced by something else? Because mm, we're such a competitive yeah, culture? Yeah, yeah. Like, like uh, my kid is going to have the best hair. You know, I, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we'll start to see bumper stickers and, you know, <laughs> license plates. And it's it, we're, we have a very interesting culture. In Europe, they do not go around wearing sweatshirts with their college names on them. The soccer team instead. Yeah, right? So maybe that'll be – we'll go back to the sports culture. Ah, uh, there you go. <laughs> Beer and sports. I want to – Kind of dirty the waters a little bit. Okay. And I, I know this is going to be a bummer for you. That's okay. So some schools, you get the sense that the role of the university, particularly the graduate level, is to do the job of deciding who should get admitted. Mm. And once you're admitted, you're done. You, so like a uh, story in certain countries in Asia is that the competition to get in the schools is everything. It's all the test. And, you know, like 1% get into the top school. And then you get in the school and you stop working mm. because you now have shown mm -hmm. that you went to this school. And so the university has done a selection function for society. And its job isn't really education. It's really a badge. It's just to get that name on your resume. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. but that doesn't contribute to thriving. So right. I hear from high school students all the time. I know I should sleep. I know I shouldn't be working this hard. But once I get in, I can have a life. So they're buying into that narrative that once I get in, I can have a life. And it turns out that that's actually not the case for anyone who's got – I mean there is this whole drinking culture and party culture and all that. And I think that's um, in part – and it's gotten more and more intense. Um, I think that's in part due to these kids haven't really had a normal teenage life if you're, if you're gunning for the most selective schools. Mm -hmm. And they haven't practiced things like dating or, you know, <laughs> how to handle alcohol at the same – so they come to a so, highly so, selective school so, and they go crazy, literally. So, so do highly selective schools have the most dysfunctional dating of uh, – <laughs> I, I mean, there's no studies on that, but there are some on binge drinking and, and, no, I'd and like all to, of that. I'd like to see the dance filled with wallflowers, just <laughs> right. nothing but wallflowers. Because we haven't <laughs> practiced asking someone out. Um, but yeah. I, I just – I want to come back to this. The, yeah. if, on the argument that the schools do a filtering job, yeah. right? And yeah. so that these studies sort of show, well, they don't do a filtering job on thriving in life, right? Right, Because right. on your outcome measures, that filtering, whatever it is, isn't having an effect. That is correct. It's just such a surprise. I know. It's such a surprise. And but don't you think it's a happy surprise? Don't you think this will – do you think this will relieve I, stress or do you think people are just still not going to believe it? And it what can it we it do? It, it depends on what kind of school my second child gets into. <laughs> yeah. I hope that any 17-year-old out there who is listening to this show, and I have no idea why a 17-year-old would be listening to this show, but I hope that they hear this and they realize and they can say to their parents, hey, it's really okay for me to go where I want 
to a school that I think is a fit for me, where I'm excited to engage. Do kids uh, push back on parents? I, I tried. Oh, I yeah, didn't succeed. you tried and you didn't they succeed. They thought I was going to, like, be drugged out on Haight-Ashbury in Berkeley or something. Off, well, that might have happened. No, I'm just kidding. Might, what, but, might have happened in the other place. <laughs> yeah, it might happen in the other place, too. Um, kids will push back. Parents will say, it's not me, it's him. We say, we don't care. We love you no matter what, wherever you go. And they, because of peer pressure, because of what they read and media and who knows what else, yeah, I think it goes both ways. It's kids pushing parents, parents pushing kids, and schools pushing you know, pushing and pulling and yeah, it, it's, it's a tough one. Okay. So I, I want to thank everyone for listening to Schools End with Dan Schwartz and Dan Schwartz uh, <laughs> and with Denise Pope. Uh, the moral of the story is get a bumper sticker that says college rankings don't mean squat. And if you missed any of this episode where Dan is host, host, and host, <laughs> you can listen anytime on demand with Sirius XM app, iTunes, and SoundCloud. of Stanford University, this has been Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope.